it's that dichotomy of uh, death controls me versus I control death. And it's like, we know we're not superhero. We know that death is beyond our control. But from a therapeutic sense, when we, when we really come to terms with that, it's a very freeing and liberating experience to allow what is. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Dr. Philip Daniels is no stranger to death, and he wants us all to stop avoiding hard conversations about it. Dr. Daniels believes that planning for our deaths, no matter how young or invincible we may feel, or how terrified we are at the prospect, is ultimately an empowering act. In this conversation, Dr. Daniels approaches the topic of planning for our deaths with depth and humor and explains how to communicate our final wishes to our loved ones. Hi, Philip. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me here. I'm so glad you're here to talk about death. And I was thinking going into this conversation, so I'm not sure that death is on the minds of college students a whole lot, especially not in terms of thinking about their own death. And uh, college is often a time where the students that I work with feel pretty invincible and the, the, you know, the possibility of dying feels pretty remote. And so I wonder, you know, why, why talk about death? Why talk about death? uh, For people who are still pretty young and statistically speaking may still have a long time to live. No, absolutely. I think that it's a valid question just for the simple fact of, uh, the short answer is because it's going to happen. And the long answer is, is there's many aspects of our lives that are impacted by death, not only by ourselves, um, but for our loved ones and friends and family. So there, it's multidimensional. And so when we look at <clears throat> getting ourselves in order first, it's something unexpected. So yes, we may know, okay, maybe we have some disordered diagnosis and it's imminent, but we also don't know if we're going to have a heart attack or an aneurysm, or if that person is going to stop at the light and hit us dead on. We just don't know that. So those are those elements that there's the unknown and uh, having the conversation definitely, um, for one, we're a death avoidance society. And so we don't want to have that. We, we talk about people passed away or we lost somebody when really, you know, they died. And so that element, you know, why do we talk about it? We want to destigmatize it. We want to demystify it. We want to kind of honor it on the other element and kind of, you know, respect it as a natural part of life. And so with that, it, we can talk about it. We can share our desires, our fears, our concerns, Uh, And we can join with others in the same conversation as well. But why college students? Like, why would you want college students to be thinking about their own deaths and planning for their own deaths? Isn't that morbid or something? 
So it is, but in the reality of it, so that, so college in particular, I mean, of course my brain goes to the worst case scenario of like, well, mom, I was just crossing the street and now I'm in a coma, you know? And, and, and so that's my first element. It's the unknown. Like I go back to that unknown of, you know, I'm on a scooter and, and it's raining and I stopped too hard and I slipped and it came out from under me. That didn't involve a drunk driver or anybody else that was, that happened, <laughs> let alone I still got the scar to prove it. But I could have been knocked unconscious. Wait, that happened to you, Philip? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A car pulled out. I stopped too fast, you know. But I could have gone unconscious. I could have had a TBI. I could have, yeah, I could have died. And so in that moment, uh, the number one thing, if I'm, well, I'm not quoting medical, but if I'm not mistaken, you know, head injuries are number one coming into ERs, you know, specifically pounds of not wearing, you know, helmets. So that's like a PSA. That's the one element. <laughs> but it also goes to the uh, speaking of our own family, you know, just from my short time of working at CWC and having, you know, clients that their parents or siblings are experiencing death or have experienced death. And so having that conversation. So in college, as we're learning, as we're, you know, finding out what maybe new things are out there that we want, you know, so there's all these other elements I can go on and on, but it's, it's really, truly, it's the intention of being informed. It's being a death informed citizen and, and, and that individual to really know. And here's the other thing, empowering yourself. You know, you put your stuff away in your dorm. Who's going to come and clean it out. You have your stuff on your computer. How, who's going to get in there to get the photos that you want for your, you know, PowerPoint or your memorial photo, you know, slideshow. So there's little tiny elements that, that we're not just talking about, oh, now I'm dead. Who is going to have your pet? Who is going to get your stuff? So those are the other things that come up. And it's also having a plan, talking with our parents. So that's an awkward conversation for parents to get the phone call to say, hey, we need you to come clean out their dorm. You know, so that, that can be the morbid aspect. So rather than an administrator having that phone call that catches you out of the blue, let's have a plan that we talk about with family. Hey, if this ever happens, I have a very good friend of mine, and I have given this a good shout out to her, of a purple folder. Purple is the color when we look at blue and light, blue and white lights of, um, you know, ambulance. Purple is the lights for uh, Hearst and funeral homes. So just the symbolic, you know, having a purple folder that's put away somewhere that in that event, something can be done. I can say from very personal aspect, I'm in the middle of the woods as a young kid, middle of a national forest park, right? And nowhere around, sheriff, uh, sheriff and highway patrol pulls up in the middle of nowhere. My, my brother was in a very, very bad accident and unconscious. Nobody, nobody knew what he wanted. He was young. He was in his um, early, early 20s. And he's laying there unconscious in a bed. Nobody knew what to do. Did you want to be revived? Did you want a feeding tube? So these might, those are the big details that go into why do we want to talk about that? But for one, we were in the middle of the woods. They came and found us from a register. That's a whole other question, you know, podcast in itself. But then transported from the woods to this hospital, and then being asked the question, what do you want done? It's a really, you want to be empowered to at least when you have no voice, how do you, have you had that conversation to say, what do you want done when I can't speak for myself? 
who do you want to be that one person to say and speak on my behalf, that healthcare surrogate? Not that they're making the decision because you've already made the decisions yourself. They're the ones that's presenting the documents to honor those decisions. So this can go in, you know, the, the question of why do we talk about death? I don't even know if I've been asked another question because that's how, you know, deep that you can go in that, in that conversation. Um, and so, yeah, it's really about empowering yourself and knowing your rights empower others. Yeah. You clearly have been really personally impacted by just how uncertain life really is and how quickly, how quickly things can change. You could be taking a hike in the woods and bam, here come the police to tell you that your brother is on death's door or you're driving your scooter and in the rain and bam, next thing you know, you could be in the hospital or maybe never even know that something happened because you never wake up, right? So those personal reminders or experiences sound like they made a really strong impression on you that you could not take living for granted. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Not when you're not guaranteed your next breath. Absolutely. I I think that so often... In my work at the counseling center, the conversations that I have with students around death revolve around suicidal thoughts and and trying to work with students to embrace their life. And so it's interesting because you're talking about, you're not talking today about planning for suicide, for example. That's not the conversation that we're having. No. But that is an element. Yeah. That is an element that comes in twofold. So to, to answer that directly, because that is, a like I said, I'll, I'll say it again, there's a podcast in itself. <clears throat> there is the element in which for like a terminal state disease. So the right, the right to choose, that's the entire argument there. In different countries and different governments and different states, um, you, you end up having a terminal illness, you do have a right to choose, and you can have a very dignified uh, death with your own choice and choosing and timing and place and, and all of that. So there is that element, but yes, at this moment, no. We're talking about uh, natural death. We're talking about uh, planned death in the sense that, like, I know that I have a terminal illness, um, or also just the unplanned, like, I want to be prepared. <clears throat> For the unexpected, because that's yes. so often that's so often the type of death that happens to college age. Yes, is that unplanned, unexpected? Absolutely, and that's the you know that historically, like the landmark case about like having your advanced directives was literally about that. It was a woman that was she was a young lady going home from, and I, if I'm not mistaken, she was a nurse had a car accident. And she was uh, unresponsive. And so there was, you know, the, the state is going to have the right to life and, and they're going to fight for that. So they put in a feeding tube and everything to keep her going, but she was just un, unresponsive. So then there was this fight. There was this, the, the friend said she did not want to be, she did not want to live like this. Again, I got to get everything in, in order. It was on a napkin. Like they were at a restaurant, you know, talking about if I ever was ever been like this, I don't want to be like that. That wasn't legally done, you know, it wasn't, 
it was never said. So the state and the family, and it, and it made it all the way up to the Supreme Court, that that's why we now have advanced directives. And to, to have these, these documents in place, it's scary to think about. And all of the different elements that your choice can be. So if we're heart dead, if we're heart and lung dead, if we're brain dead, you can, you can say for every single thing, if this, then that. If I, you know, six months, and that's the other scary part. Some people say, well, what if I came back? If I say, you know, keep me on the plug for 30 days. Well, what if I would have came back on the 31st? So there's the existential realities that you also have to deal with as well. So there's a lot of people that say that they make peace. And however you make peace, you know, spiritually, religiously, personally, whatever that may be, that's another element uh, that comes into this planning for death. As scary as this process can be, especially for young people, but I think for all of us, as scary as it can be, there's a lot to be gained from going through planning for your own death, Plan, especially, especially planning for an unexpected yes. death. And you get to speak for yourself when you can't be there to advocate for yourself um, and you also empower the people who love you to respect you mm-hmm. at a time when they are likely shocked and traumatized and not functioning very well, not thinking very clearly to have kind of a roadmap of what, what you had wanted. Absolutely. And so that, that's where it speaks volumes to, to exactly that. You're in this moment of, of shock, of grief, of trauma, of turmoil, that to sit back and then try to plan all this stuff on behalf of somebody else, it's nearly impossible. Now, that then, I, it, you know, we also speak about with anxiety, there's that element of control. And underneath that element of control, being out of control, then going further, the element of death. So when we really embrace the fact that even though we're gone, but we can control that the little bit, you know, that we have left, that also is, a, is sometimes for somebody a very empowering moment. Uh, my great aunt, I didn't know this, this is, and this is also speaking to family, like generational stuff and then family dynamics as well. You know, one side of the family may be prepared. Another side of the family may not be. Maybe within family, you know, in-laws prepared, in-laws not prepared. Uh, so great aunt died and had no idea, but until when she died, um, in her drawer, in her little desk drawer from 1976, she had written down every single thing, what she wanted read to what song she wanted to how she wanted her body to be to then, you know, what she had, and that was just the service, you know, and then of course the living well and everything. But I was like, now that's some dedication and commitment, you know, 40 years later. But see this, this struck with me. I have another cousin, well, some other side, this is all personal stuff that uh, has come and, and some of it is related to professional, but uh, they were on a motorcycle and semi comes by and lug nut comes off and kills them. Well, the husband survives, the aunt, my, the, the wife dies on the road, so they get home, and as they're grieving, and as the kids all come together, they realize they can't even get into the computer. 
the password on the computer to get the memorial photos. So for hours, they're trying to crack this code to try to, how do we get in there? Well, so if I remember correctly, my sister was like, check her purse. And here's the secret. Some people have an index card with their passwords. Now that had been shared within the family that now I think every female in my family, dirty secret, has something so that if something was an emergency like that, there is a way that we can. So that was just one thing of an element of preparation that nobody even thought about. So then that made me think like, how can we have these conversations? How can you put things in place that whatever they are, you know, be creative with your own family, just to be prepared. I'm sitting here as you're talking and I'm aware that I'm having feelings myself, even though I consider myself someone who is probably more aware of death than the average um, person and have done a living will and advanced directive and have done all that stuff. I'm still feeling kind of overwhelmed emotionally having this conversation with you. And it makes me, because it's sad to think about not, it's just, it's sad. It's sad to think about these scenarios um, for myself, for my loved ones. And I guess I just want to name that, that I, that I wonder if maybe more than being scared about death these days, when I think about it, I'm just really sad and I'd rather avoid that feeling. And, and so there's something cool about you being so open about it. What is it like to just let the sadness be here and not have to see that as a problem to be avoided, um, but just kind of part of the tenderness of facing, facing this crazy world where we, none of us get to know how long we have. Absolutely. I appreciate you for naming that because it is, it's honoring that it is sad. I mean, at the end of the day, that's sad. We're losing somebody. It's, it's change. That's sad. We're losing our, like I used to, when I was younger, I was suicidal, you know, but now I'm at a point in my life where, oh my God, I don't want to die. Right. Like there's so much to live for. And that, 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 that feels scary. The idea of just, wow, I'm gonna, I may have time to say goodbye and I may not have time to say goodbye. Absolutely. And I think that's where it's really a blessing to just kind of honor the fact of the here and now, just in that moment, somebody's not here. And there was another moment. That's how quick it is. That in one moment someone's here and the next they're not. Mm -hmm. That was three moments right there that three people are no longer here, you know, for whatever means. So I I wonder if one of the challenges for college students might be to hear this and think about aging parents or aging grandparents, especially we're recording this in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And that it's easier to think about other people's mm-hmm. deaths. Like, oh, I need to really, like, I can think about my dad who's not in good health and stuff. Like, oh, I need to talk to my dad versus, no, I really need to sit down and do this work for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, so that speaks to that element of like the old saying of like getting our house in order, you know, before we want to, to go and try to clean up other people's messes. And so with that, 
there is an element that there's always going to be unknowns. There's going to be something that we didn't think about. And, and worst case scenario, there may be some times where you may put everything down and have these conversations. And one thing or one signature could be out of place. And there have been horse. So that's a, like, that's the caveat too, that you could do all this, and then it'd still be completely, you know, either DNR, that goes in a whole other conversation about do not resuscitates and all these other things. But yeah, it takes us to that space that I know that with my own family doing what I do, it was difficult because I, I remember walking into the hospital room with my dad in the bed and, and my mom being a nurse. And I see this paper laying on the, on the little side table and I, and I see half of it filled out and I grab it. I'm like, what is that? It's the advanced directives. And I said, mom, why didn't you fill this out? I don't want to think about that right now. He's in the freaking bed. Like, what do you mean? You don't want to think about it. Like, no, granted, he's in there for an infection. It's not like, but it could have done worse. You know, that's the, that's the, the element of unknown. But healthcare professionals are, are one of the highest ones that do not address this because they deal with it on such a daily basis and such a just kind of, you can become numb to it. So with that, <laughs> I was like, hold on, you know, why are we not having these conversations? And it can be, you know, I finally got her to get to the, to the, she didn't want to do it with me. There was that boundary issue. So that's the other thing you want to respect. They finally went to a lawyer, which I had to put my ego in check too. I was like, but I could help you, you know? And it's like, well, no, let her do it. She's doing it. Like at least she's doing it. And it, but it took a while. Uh, but that focus first had to start with me. And, and I even for me and my own, my, my husband, I was like, hey, we need to have these conversations. And, and we do and we have and now we have dogs. We're like, oh, who are going to take care of the dogs if we're traveling and, and we have a car accident or something happens? Who are we going to call? That's still a conversation we need to have. Like we've had the conversation, but we still need to make the decision. So there's always stuff that might change that we need to be flexible and you can always change your mind too. So once you put stuff down, so college students are thinking, well, maybe I don't want that in 10 years. Okay, change it. But at least you have it now in that regard that if it's something that, so that's the other element that I break it down. And I know that we were talking earlier about like these quadrants and how I help a, a student or a family or an individual see that we can really break it down into the four. The expected and planned, the expected and unplanned, the unexpected and planned, and then the unexpected and unplanned. And those four quadrants, if you can find out where you're at in there, then you find your insights. Okay, I don't have this taken care of. Maybe I need to get a life insurance. Maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that. Uh, the other thing comes into if you know that there's a certain you know predisposition to disorders or diseases, that would be another thing that you'd want to take into account. And for each one of those, when I talk about this, when I teach, when I do presentations or workshops, those I literally give a case study. <laughs> and I know that I'm not going to sit here and read it out loud. But when they're reading that, they're like, wow, that's a lot of death. So that person and this person and that person... Well, when I break it down, I show them through a genogram, it's all one family. It was just different elements at different times, different cultures, different values, different beliefs, different priorities, different denials, 
different acceptances. And so it really opened my eyes to where I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there is something that, that can be done so much more. Having the aspect to live through and witness, what does it feel like when you just walk in and somebody's dead and nothing was planned? I mean, from nothing to nothing of anything to the comparison to where person leaves completely healthy day after Christmas, goes to the hunting camp, gets there, falls face flat, dead in the door, had an aneurysm or a heart attack. They don't know, didn't do an autopsy, but basically they're dead. Well, they were a lineman, like electrician, like, you know, for the power company. So that's a dangerous job. They had their elder stuff in order. So although it was traumatic, although it was devastating, although it was heartbreaking, although you had to get transportation from Alabama to Florida, they were able to grieve. They were able to sit there with it versus having to now go to the court, go to the lawyer, go to the bank, go to this, go to that, figure out this, go to that. I saw that. I witnessed that. I was like, no, there has to be a better way. And, and, and seeing it that way, that was what kind of really opened my eyes, you know. That there um, is a better way. That, exactly. It, 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 it was not pretty that he had died that way, but the way that it was set up. On the other side of the family, it was expected. So everybody was there. We got to spend time. We got to be together. And then when she took her last breath, Again, we were able to just sit and we were able to be and we were able to just just be in that moment. It wasn't all of a sudden, now we got to start this, 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 this. The scramble that takes you away from actually experiencing what it's like to lose someone you love. Yes. And that those last moments that you, that, for one you can never take back. And they're powerful. Exactly. And that's the other component that it's, I, I, I feel like I'm rambling out of sense, but what I'm, what I'm speaking to is just the, the variety, the freedom, the beauty that comes with death when we have a respect and an honor for it, for, for where it, for when it's there, when it comes. I mean, in some ways we could think of it as our last ritual, right? It's like we plan, think about how much we plan for a wedding. Yeah. Or a birth. Yeah. You know, that's actually, I'm glad you bring up, so that's exactly right. I have a a very good friend and God bless her, she had recently passed. See, there's my own language, she recently died. And um, (laughs) come to find out, she had everything planned. This is one of those things. And to be taken down to the river, these are also, uh, this is a whole other conversation about natural burials and um, natural deaths and, and doing in-home deaths and, and basically just taking her body down to the river. She wanted to be covered in oil and glitter and have a big party. And that's what she did. And so we all took her body down there and that's what they did, you know, and it's, that was her last ritual. That's all she wanted to do was have fun. And that was her last ritual. She goes, I want you all to have fun. And as some people, you know, they might be grossed out. That's the other element too. We need to respect, you know, from individuals that be it individual preferences, cultural, 
religion, whatever the aspect may be, that could be very taboo. So it was that, you know, somebody could see that as desecrating the body. Somebody could see that as, you know, whatever that might, that was what she wanted. And that is how she wanted to be celebrated. And that is how she wanted others to celebrate with her. And that last ritual, that, that's what just made me think about that when you said about planning for weddings. Yeah. I'm getting chills and I'm feeling inspired to do some writing, you know, and let my husband know where the journaling is about the personal aspects of, of death, right? We handled like the business side of it, but there's a personal side of all of it. Yes. How do you want to be touched? How do you want to be handled that? You got to face the facts because there's going to be elements that who, you know, I'm speaking of a, of a dear friend that it, it took a community to honor that. It's very easy to write that stuff down and say, oh, this is what I want. And then the time comes and the family gets nasty and the pettiness and the hurt and the, and the pain comes out. So that's the other, that, again, whole nother podcast. Also sounds like a wedding in some ways. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's truth in that. But that's where it's like, this isn't about you in the moment. Right. This is about that person. So there is that, you're exactly right, speaking to the intimate aspects that, you know, not a lot of people know that's outside of the death business, what literally happens to your body and your bowels and your fluids. And that's something that you're having this peaceful moment. And then all of a sudden, what is that? You know, and you're like, that you need, you don't want that to be a surprise, you know, or when you go to clean the body, that's the other elements that they're Again, it, me saying this in a college setting, you know, as we're sitting here, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of taboo. So I'm checking my own biases. I'm like, no, this is, this is, anybody can hear this and anybody needs to hear this. I, w- I want to ask you two different, kind of go in two different directions. One is I'm super curious in your own life, Philip, how being willing to, engage with these difficult truths has impacted you as a person like because you mentioned existentially spiritually you know you're married just how being willing to cover your cover your friend in oil and glitter her body and maybe there's a bowel movement right well right to to participate close up with death what if what gifts that has given you in your life. So that's one set of questions. And then the other one is just where would someone start as a college student? Like what are the, what are the things that they should start looking into if they want to follow up on this conversation? Um, So one is more personal and one is more logistical. So the personal aspect, uh, that really speaks to, for me, is humility. Like, it's a very humbling experience to see somebody in such a powerful place, but then to see them in such a weak place. That's that, that existential, like when you're at that most vulnerable. Like right before they die? 
Yeah. So, like, well, well, any of it, you know, from that caregiving aspect, just from the moment of sitting in the room to, to finding out you get the diagnosis or that it, it's a humbling experience. And when I say in a weak position, what I mean is physically, like physiologically, like you're weak, but it's, it's, it's humbling. It, it's, that's where my first thing goes and it's sacred. It's, it's humbling and it's sacred because those are, those are, you know, outside of birth, who else is there? And I'm not talking about waiting in the lobby. I'm talking about like holding your hand. That's, that's the severity. That's the level of, of intimacy, humility, sacredness, and ultimately love. Because everything is stripped down so much. Yeah. It truly, truly is. It's, I usually talk about it without getting emotional, but personal humility and love. That's, I think, out of it because there have been times that, and this is the, here's the other element, is when I'm speaking from the perspective as like I'm being there holding their hand. For the same person, maybe you can't be there. Maybe you cannot physically be in the room when they take their last breath. And that is okay. That's if that's what you need. So there are some elements will say, oh my God, you know, you needed to be there. You need to be wherever you needed to be in that moment. So there's that element. You're speaking about your experience, but you're not bringing judgments to it that your experience needs to be somebody else's. That there's no right way to be exactly in the, in the death process, in supporting someone through a death process. If you have to say, like, I'm here and I'm present, but I can't see that body. That's okay. That's okay. And, and so whatever that element of closure you need, you know, there's elements where, you know, there are stories out there in which the, how kind and considerate the person who's about to die, the wife or the husband will go away and, and get a glass of water. And when they come back, their spouse is dead. But they'd been working, like they were caregiving, right? This was something. This, this was like, what do you mean? They well, they knew that they weren't feeling very good. I was like, well, how considerate. They didn't want you to see them taking that last breath of like, you know, it was like, here, just a nice, peaceful. They were like, man, my last moment was saying, I'll be back and, and I'll get you a glass of water. And when they came back, that was it. So it was again, it was just kind of that element of you just never know going to sleep, waking up, and they had you know, died in their sleep. These are all elements that when I've learned these or I've heard these from my friends, from my family, from my clients, I'm like, wow, 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 wow. You know, and it, so that's when you get so exposed to it, that's the other element just personally. I, I, I'm going full circle back to that humility. What do you mean when you say humility? What does that mean to you? Rawness. The, the humility that as a human, no matter what position, no matter what SES, no matter what race, no matter what culture, 
any of that, you're human. And it's a humbling experience that death brings you to the all equalizer. Yes, you might have a gold casket. And yes, you might be in a cardboard box, literally. But it is an all equalizer. That's what I mean by humbling and by humility. I'm just sitting with that. All the ways that we build up our sense of self and our sense of invulnerability. Yeah, that's, that's where I, that's the honoring, you know, of just life in general. It's bigger and it's bigger than, it's Mm -hmm. bigger than any individual. It's bigger than anyone. And that's the other element. Talk about humility. The moment you die, the world keeps going. You know, I'm thinking now of some powerful people who have died just recently and you'll see it on the news. You watch it on the live cast and streaming and then their legacy is all that's left. You know, and so it's all equalizer. How does your awareness of death, your intimate experiences with people who are dying, people after they've died, the families, friends, your intimate experiences, Obviously, you haven't yourself died yet, but otherwise, you've, you've been pretty highly exposed, I think, for someone in this culture. And you've been exposed as a counselor from a place of, like, the intention of going in and keeping your heart really open. Yeah. So I guess I'm just wondering, Philip, like, how does that impact how you live your life? I appreciate that question. And I think the, there are moments... I think just being as a counselor in general, we always talk about like the boundaries and, you know, what are we taking home and how are we processing and what work are we doing, you know, for burnout and, you know, self-care and boundaries and all of that. And so in addition to all of that, the element of death, I can tell you that it might sound a little funny, like just saying it, but there are times that like I can find myself with intention, and I'm trying to think of my words, that's why I'm pausing on this, of like, just having fun. Like, it could be the simplest thing, the stupidest thing, the crazy, whatever, you know, add for it, but just, like, why not? Because the opposite is going to be suffering. The opposite is going to be sad. The opposite is going to be, you know, that downward hill. So, as a person, as I'm just chilling, you know, there's the moments that we're all human, we're sad, we're happy, we're, you know, we're angry, we're mad. We, that's all there. But I think in general, because of the experiences of death, it's always that reminder of, of, of one, take a breath. So I'll find myself. I'll be going around, you know, and then all of a sudden I kind of will stop and I'll be like, oh, a breath. And I'll take that moment and I'll just like, so there's those, those small reminders throughout the day. But then there's also the times that I, I, I just think I want to have fun because I think about my grandparents. I think about other clients that are stuck in homes and comas and 
in different places that you can't have fun. My whole entire dissertation was translating a, a therapy for play, a play therapy for people with dementia and their caregivers to have fun. That was literally what I got my doctorate in because I realized how just sad, lonely, depressing that it is. So that's that, it's that flip side of how can you live your best life responsibly having fun? Because back in the day, it was like, <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> you know, I was like, I did have the mentality that if this doesn't kill me, then being bored in a nursing home with dementia would. So just have fun now. But of course, you know, responsibilities and wanting to be there and living as long as I can, you know, healthily comes in that. I, I had had a long past with substances and being strung out and all kinds of stuff and mental health and rehab. And so all of that stuff, it was, I, I literally had the mentality that if I was in jail or if I was in a nursing home, those were my, those were my two outcomes. So therefore, I would just live as much as I could. And so that was that. So now I've had to tame that down a little bit because I, <laughs> you know, I am speaking specifically about drugs, alcohol, speeding, just all kinds of stuff. So that's where that it's really made me not necessarily fearful, but it gave me that. Yeah, kind of, I guess, fear of like, OK, I don't want to have to deal with my insurance. Let's not break my leg doing that, you know, activity. Let's not, so that's where it, it, it's it's kind of. I think there's, and I think there's something about being young that, because I, I wouldn't put my own past in exactly the same way, but certainly almost was like trying to defy death in some ways in my decisions, like treating uh, my life kind of cavalierly or death be damned. I'm going to do mm-hmm. whatever I want. I'm going to burn it down. Yeah. And that I think that that can be a common response to being young and Mm -hmm. thank goodness we survived right but that I wouldn't necessarily say that I experienced a whole lot of joy either like I I think I was having fun Mm -hmm. but what it means to have fun and what it means to experience joy it's become more gentle I guess it's become more gentle yes the definition and perspective have definitely shifted. You know, there was a time and day in which, you know, my mom would say, you know, come home before 11. And I would literally say, go to bed. If I'm dead, the cops will let you know. Like, seriously, they will come and knock on the door. And and how shitty of me to say that to my own mother. And that sounds like a joke, but I, I was kind of an asshole. That was a sincere thought. I was like, why bother? Go to bed, lady. Like, uh, like I'm, I'm living my best life. You know? But now, you know, of course, uh, and we joke about that now, but I, th- yeah, the perspective has definitely changed about how can we really embrace and, you know, have as much fun, you know, as we can. Because at the end of the day, we, we have one life to live. And, and so really honoring that, that's that's where making the most of it that's where i try to do serving others that's the other element like kind of my mission and purpose is if i can help people then i know i'm living other than that people are helping me and i'm not living like if, if the caregiving role was reversed i have see this is how exposures of death and family and the mentalities my great granddad he killed himself because he had calling he was like i couldn't work no more 
he couldn't work anymore. So he didn't want somebody to have to take care of him. And he had colon cancer and it was back in the day. Like, so he just, he called my grandmother. He said, all right, I love you. Went out to the shed and shot himself. And it was, it was just that like matter of fact. That, and so that perspective of where do you come from and how do you experience death is going to definitely shade your perspective of how you just live in general. You know, I think about military, EMT, police, they experience death much differently than a chaplain coming in or a counselor coming in or a hospice coming in. That is a whole other element and it deserves to be talked about. It deserves to be process deserves to be discussed that that's a whole nother again podcast (laughs) but as you could see it's just so multifaceted and so how you are introduced and how you experience death will also put in a perspective of how you react respond approach cope with live with death which is cool in a way, right? Because it's like, it's like our lives are, we live our lives in this great diversity of who we are, what we've been through, our worldviews, our backgrounds, all of that. Like no life is the same and no death has to be the same either. It's, it's not like there's this standard or there's right or wrong way. It's just that um, it can be, it's a chance to say, make it your death. Like Absolutely. make it your death. It's your life. It's your birth. It's your death too. Absolutely. And that's where when we bring it all back down to this element, that it that we're not having the conversation about, you know, hey, you know, Mr. Jones, you have six months to live. We're not talking about, I mean, that is part of the conversation. But, you know, you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, junior, senior, you're a professional student, a grad student, all of it. We can have these conversations. We can have these thoughts. We can have, you know, these plans in place at any time. It just takes us that willingness to have those tough conversations because it's uncomfortable. Where do you recommend that student clients that you're working with, whether they're undergrads or graduate students, where do you recommend they start? If they, especially we're like, we're in the middle of the pandemic and yes, it generally spares younger people death, but we are all living with a heightened sense of danger, threat for our loved ones. And and there's the uncertainty of maybe you have an underlying condition you don't know about, or maybe you know about it, and so you're young, but you're also at increased risk. I know we've had students come into the counseling center who have just buried a parent who died of COVID. So it's real. So this may be a very opportune time to, you know, it's less abstract than it usually is, I think, for us societally right now. And so... So where can, where, where can people go for if they want to follow up and get some resources and start this process? Absolutely. So that's a really good question because it's actually, there's many ways that you can be introduced to this topic. First and foremost, if you're in a hospital setting, that's going to be part of their intake. You're a physician. There's lawyers. You also could do a simple internet search of advanced directives or advanced planning. 
specify your state because there might be some state differences. Uh, and then other than that, there are organizations out there such as uh, there's a national movement called Death Over Dinner. Let's have dinner and talk about death. And actually, that was one of my first experiences here at UF in which I was invited in through the College of Medicine to talk with, to go out to dinner with students and literally talk about death. So Death Over Dinner, or Let's Have a Dinner and Talk About Death, those interchange. That's a beautiful space to, to start with because then it also helps you through the talking points. And then you could have with your peers and then your other peers and have these multiple dinners. Now, of course, through COVID, we might be virtual. So that's the other element. There's also five wishes. If you Google five wishes, that's through the Dignity Product and or Dignity Project through Florida. And that simply asks you five things. And it, and it prompts you to think, okay. In this situation, I want this. In this situation, I want that. You can even get that notarized, and that's your advantage. You know, that's a piece of your packet. There's another thing called Go Wish. It's a spin on Go Fish, and it actually is more so for children, but you can use it for all ages. And it's a game that, it, like I said, it's similar to Go Fish, in which it helps you with these prompts, ask these specific questions. And like I said, there's different uh, additions, and this is, you know, more so for children that are dealing with, you know, terminal illnesses and having these conversations. And then there is one other one called prepared, and it's uh, prepare for your care. And that actually sets up for individuals and families. It has their entire talking points, you know, like the like conversation guide and DVDs and videos and all this stuff that can help you just kind of discuss this and not get lost. Cause what might happen is you get stuck on one thing and it's like, I don't know. And, and it can just spiral into this big conversation. Well, it's like, hold. so that's where I say some of these guides are helpful to keep on track and to think of some things that you may, may not have thought of uh, before. That's super helpful. And we'll link to all of those and potentially even some others uh, on the show notes on our website. I was just going to say as a, college student, I was both suicidal and absolutely terrified at the idea of dying. And it can be really strange to have both of those experiences exist simultaneously. But I have also worked with college students who, as they start to move out of their thoughts of suicide or struggle with suicide, back into living, that they also experience that death terror. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so it's... I think what you're speaking to is that dichotomy of just because we're suicidal doesn't mean we want to die. Yeah. It's that element that, yes, we may want to die. Like, we want it to just end. I don't want to be here. I can't... Yeah. You, you know, and so there's... Yeah. It's I mean, both. It's, it can be, yes. they can exist at the same time. Exactly. And that's that element that in, even for anybody feeling suicidal or having those thoughts, that's a, that's a place to be that we can talk. But, you know, that's that element that's like, no, I don't have to be locked up. No, I have to be put into this place. No, I have to be met. No, that's, that just means that we can talk about that. So that's that element. I really want to break that apart that if you're hearing this and it's a, that element of I'm feeling suicidal, I'm thinking about suicidal, I'm planning for my own death. That is a different conversation, but it's, it's a conversation to be had and, and, and it deserves that space. 
So I want to give that to name that, that if, that if any of these things are kind of resonating or triggering or the, you know, something is lingering within you, let's have that conversation. That's what I was wanting to say. I'm glad you're saying that. Like whether, whether it's coming from a place of like, yeah, this is rubbing up against my own struggle with suicide or, or depression or whatever. So there's that side of it. And maybe it's just, you want to do this death planning work for yourself, but it's scary that, that either one it's, it could be a, it's a great opportunity to maybe talk to a chaplain, talk to a trusted person in your life, talk to a counselor, call a hotline. This is going to bring up stuff. That's why we avoid it, right? We avoid it because it brings up stuff, but the stuff that it brings up deserves attention deserves care, deserves the conversation, and can actually be healing. Absolutely. And also keep in mind that this is kind of, and I don't say this as a joke because this is in all seriousness. If you have been thinking of suicide and family know that, you know, that's something you've been working on, depression and stuff like that, keep in mind that it might have an awkward reaction or a red flag reaction if you come and you say, hey, I want to plan for death. And then it's like, but no, not in that sense. So I want you to also honor that moment of like, this might have a conversation that's like, you know what? I don't know if I'm comfortable to even bring it up, but in the, in the context and in the aspect and in the time and place do keep that in mind. So I don't say that lightly. I say that with all sincerity because we can grow, we can change, we can heal. Yes. And, and we train people to you know look for signs that your loved one might be suicidal by saying if they start planning for death that can be a red flag right it, but it but it may not be so it's just it's worth asking ask yes. your your family your friends may ask you so what's going on with that i was thinking something like this if i if i could have especially if i needed therapy at the time um, when i was younger thankfully i got it from uf counseling center back at the time but but something like being able to make these plans might have actually helped me be less suicidal. Yeah. Because I right, because I was taking yeah. some control and some ownership of something that was really terrifying for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that you bring that up and just that sense of that speaks to that empowerment. And so the other element that I was like resonating within me that I would want to students, you know, kind of have that perspective. Keep in mind that when you bring this up to parents, you might get the natural defense of like, why are you planning for this? This is no, no, no. Because also keep in mind, that's them confronting the reality that, oh my God, my baby could die. And that's scary. And that's sad. And so that also brings up the element that you, you know, this might be a process. It might not be this Thanksgiving over dinner talking about death. You know, it might be a process. And so be gentle, be patient, but also be proactive. That's and it, it. Right. And it's possible for you to be further along in this process for yourself than your parents have been willing to go for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that, yeah, that's the other element too, that, that, you might be bringing up things that they have lived through their own, they have come through, but it's like, you know, it's that element of us teaching our parents that can, depending on how the parents, our parents are, can be 
you know, you got to do that with finesse because they can take it as an insult or condescend. I don't know. That's my own personal stuff. But the issue is we could be sharing stuff with them that they didn't consider. And so then, yeah, that can open up for many, many conversations. And then also just be mindful too, that they may have had plans as weird as that sounds. They may have had a family plot that they want everybody laying next to. And you're like, no, actually I want to be cremated and sent to space. Well, okay. But they, you know, that might be a point of conversation to have. I'm smiling over here and I'm thinking about, just how much fun I've had in this conversation, even though it's been really deep and at times emotional, that it's also been fun. And I love that you have found a way to hold both in who you are and how you are. And that, that's just really special to get to spend some time with you in both of those places. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm grateful to have this space with you too and to share and, you know, just, uh, I don't know, it's that destigmatize it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a huge taboo. It really is. I mean, that's the other element too. I could keep going on and on, but people don't realize that death is stigmatized. You know, we have natural death and stigmatized deaths, such as like murder, homicide, suicide, um, and then you have like the cancer, you know, natural death. And those can be impactful as well as when we're in that planning stage. But I'm just, I'm grateful for the time that we've been able to sit here together. Well, and we'll definitely have you back for additional conversations, Philip. Is there anything else that you want to leave this conversation with for folks who have been listening? Thank you if you've listened to us this long. Yeah, if you are still here with us, I get just consider, you know, what you would like for yourself, you know, lean into some of those difficult thoughts and conversations and overall say what needs to be said. If you need to reconnect or you need to heal or you need to tell somebody that you love them, even though you can't stand them, let them know it because if it's too late, you're still going to have to hold that. And so that's where I, yeah, just, yeah, love. (laughs) Well, and it is holding an awareness of death with us does help clarify what really matters. It, it does. It, it, for one, it puts things in perspective for major. You see, there, there, it's that dichotomy of uh, death controls me versus I control death. And it's like, we know we're not superhero. We know that death is beyond our control. But from a therapeutic sense, when we, when we really come to terms with that, it's a very freeing and liberating experience to allow what is. It allows you to be. It allows what is to be. And allows us to be free in that moment. Thank you so much, Philip. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.